my mama thinks I can sing. Um, <laughs> very, if I, my mama thinks I can sing that song. I know she does. I know she does. She, she, she does know she does. I know she does. Me and Vanessa, we talk um, a lot about this one time. We, me and Vanessa were dating at the time. My mom and daddy lived in the Bahamas. They weren't there on vacation. My dad was a church planner. He started churches, and they were working with this church, in, or starting a church in Nassau, um, Bahamas. And uh, we went down there for a Christmas break, I guess it was, Christmas break. And my mama says, um, Matthew, you and your sister, my sister's name is Sarah, you and your sister, and Vanessa, who I'm dating, by the way, just know this, we're, we're, there's no long-term commitment here, we're just dating. And she comes to visit. She says, you and your sister and Vanessa, I want y'all to get up and sing in church. I don't remember the song now, but it was some song she wanted us to sing in church. We did it. Now, Vanessa can sing, but the rest of us can't. It was objectively bad. It was terrible. It was not good. But my mama loved it. My mama thinks I can sing. She, you ask her right now, if I were to bring her up here, can Matthew sing? Oh, yeah, he's got a lovely voice. Ask anybody that's ever heard me sing, and they will say, yeah, he's loud, but I don't know how good it is. But this is the thing about mamas. Mamas have this special kind of accepting love. It starts, I believe, even before the child's ever born. And some of you that are mamas know this better than I know this. I just, I'm observing this from my life more than I'm doing anything. And my, mother, my own mother, of course. But it starts before birth. Of course, it continues on through the terrible twos. And they're easy to love when they're little bitty babies, but they, they get a little harder to love when they begin two years old. And it goes even more terrible preteen years. And through the very troubling teen years, and to the terrifying 20s and 30s, I mean, it just gets, if I think it just, somebody, somebody tell me, it gets better. Because I mean, I mean, just, <laughs> these phone calls, these phone calls you get sometimes. But, but my, my mama thinks I can do no wrong. And that kind of acceptance is hard to find. It really is. It's really hard to find. But I think it's exactly the kind of acceptance that we all really really want and we long for. Um, so much so that I think we'll even lie to ourselves to, to, to try to get it. We will call something that is bad, good, or something that is good, we'll call bad, just so we can feel better about ourselves and say, oh, I'm okay, everybody's okay, I'm a good person. We, we, we'll do this, we, we do these things. Because what we want to be, what we want more than anything, and I'm, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to lay myself bare. What I want more than anything is for people to know who I really am and still love me. I don't want to have to put on, because we do this. I do this. We all do this. Let's be honest with ourselves. We put on these fronts for each other. We kind of, I look like a certain thing because there's a certain thing I think you want me to look like, and so I'm going to do that, and you love me because I look like what you want me to, right? That's what we do. But what we really want, what I want, and I think what you want, more than anything, is to be known for who I really am. Sound like I'm caterwauling, singing, and Mama's still liking it. That's what I really want, more than anything. But I want you to know that that kind of acceptance, no matter who you are and no matter what you have done, actually is available to you. 
And more than it's available, I want you to enjoy it. This is really what I want you to see. Because it's one thing to know that it's, it's one thing for it to be there, and it's another thing for you to actually partake of it, participate in it, get it, and enjoy it. Y'all understand the distinction? Because you can sit there. My, my wife made a peach cobbler last night, and we ate peach cobbler, and it was good with vanilla ice cream on it. And that was there, and it's, it's at the house right now. And it's there. It's one thing to know it's there. It's a whole other thing to get a big old scoop of that peach cobbler and that ice cream on top and dig in. You, you know the difference, right? That's what I'm talking about. I want you to enjoy it. But I'm afraid that we are like Israel is in this passage we're about to get into. That the path is available. The path to being fully known, to being embraced, to being loved as a person, as who we are, it is wide open to them. It's open to them and it's open to us. But precious few will walk that path. And that's what we see in this passage. And what I want to invite you to do right now is you're listening to what I'm saying. I want, you to invite, I want to invite you to hear the voice of the Lord. That's who's talking in this chapter, chapter 50, Isaiah chapter 50. And hear the voice of the Lord as He talks to us and He is giving to you. And I want you to enjoy this unconditional love and unconditional acceptance. I want you to see this. So what happens in chapter 50, we'll, we'll start reading here where the Lord is talking in verse 1. Let's say the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement we might put away? Or, or, or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? The children of Israel were essentially, in this prophecy, they were essentially accusing God, saying, listen, you've abandoned us, Lord. If you remember the, the previous passages, starting really, if you were to go all the way back to Isaiah chapter one and go to about chapter forty, you would see that God has said, "Y'all are y'all are wicked, and you're going to be punished for this." And Israel's response is simply, "You're abandoning us, God. What's, what's wrong? What, what is, why? Why are you forsaking us now, God? Why are you doing this?" And, and this, is, this is pretty typical when we feel shame. When I feel shame and I feel rejected, I find all kind of people to blame. Everybody around me, my friends, my family, uh, my, my, uh, my enemies, uh, anybody who I can find that might possibly be able to be blamed. I say, the reason I feel this way, it's your fault. And that's what Israel's doing. They're saying, we feel bad. We feel like we're not being accepted right now. So we're saying, God, you're the one who's abandoned us. You're the one that's forgotten us. In fact, y'all remember last Sunday I preached a sermon on Isaiah 49, and the first about 11, 12 verses of that was talking about how God is going to restore Israel. Do you remember this? That's what he says in chapter 49, verses 1 through 13. And then he says in verse 13, y'all need to rejoice because of that. But then in verse 14, if you just flip back a page in your Bible, you'll see this Zion, which is uh, basically Israel, uh, Jerusalem. He says, Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. I'm not mocking the Israel nation here because I do this too, but it's a little bit of poor, poor, pitiful me. Oh, ain't it terrible that this is happening to me? I don't deserve this. Why is this happening to me? Can anybody in this room attest to the fact that y'all do that sometimes? Okay, I'll do that sometimes. I do that more than my fair share. Let me just tell you. 
I'll say, what is wrong? What have I done? But what God says in chapter, uh, chapter 50, verse 1, He says, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? He says, I haven't left your mama. I've not. Where is the paperwork that says I have? It's not there. You can't find it. He goes on to say, and which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? I'm not the one that sold you into slavery. I'm not the one that has put you in bondage. That's not what's going on here. In fact, I want you to know that, 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 that this is where we end up. Even though we, we blame everybody around us, we eventually get to the place where we blame God. Poor, poor, pitiful me. I can't believe my friend said that. Poor, poor, pitiful me. I can't believe my wife did that. I can't believe my boss did that. God, why are you doing this to me? And God says, I'm not the one doing this to you. I'm not the one doing this to you. In fact, what God does is He actually is reaffirming His love. We're in chapter, you're in chapter 50, but I remember I told you to go back to chapter 49, and you remember in verse 14 they said, God, the Lord's forsaken me, forgotten me. But go to verse 15, and He said, this is God's response to this. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. He says, first of all, listen, I'm not going to forget you any more than a mama's going to forget her child. That child's going to forget his mama before the mama's going to forget his child. And some of y'all can say amen to that right now. You know I'm you know right. That's the way it's going to happen. He says, I'm not going to forget you. You might forget, but I'm never forgetting, God says. Look what he says, continues on in verse 16. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. I have literally written your name. I have carved your name into my hands. Now, I believe he's talking symbolically here. The fact that he's essentially got, got their name right there, right there. But I don't think it's by mistake he's talking about the palms of his hands because we understand that Jesus Christ has stars in his hands that were put there because of you and because of me. I can tell you, Jesus is not praying for getting the stars in his hands. So I want you to see that God's saying, I'm reaffirming this. He says, I've literally carved your name in my hands. He goes on in verse 18. Go down to verse 18. He says, Lift up thine eyes round, and round about, and behold, all these gather together and come together. As I live, saith the Lord, thou shalt surely clothe thee with, all, with, with them all as with an ornament, and bind them on thee as a bride doeth. He goes on and talks about the, the fact that, listen, God says, I'm going to load you down with beauty. I'm going to load you down with stuff. I'm going to reward you. I'm going to, I'm going to give you all these things. And in verse 19, he talks about how all the stuff that you lost that was destroyed, I'm going to give that back to you. And in verse 20 and 21, you can read it for yourselves, but he says, all those children that you lost, I'm going to return them to you. I'm going to give you lots of children. He says, I'm going to bless you. And then go down to the end of chapter 49. He says, shall the prey be taken away from the mighty or the lawful captive delivered? I want to make sure you listen to what he says here. He says, can you take, take prey from the mighty? So if y'all were to see a lion, he's like the, the king of the jungle, right? The lion, and he's got his prey that he's got a hold of. Who in here is going to volunteer to take that away from him? I'm not going to volunteer to take it away from him because I know that he will destroy me. 
And that's his question. That's his question. So who's going to take it? Who's going to take it from? Nobody's going to do that. Nobody. Nobody in the right mind is it. He only says who's going to take the lawful capture. So if, if you're in a society where slavery is a legal legal thing and there's no, there's nothing, and this is just this slave is by legal means. Again, not not condoning slavery, but essentially they're saying that if that's the law of the land and there's the slave is there legally, who is going to go and release that slave? Well, there's no legal recourse for it. He's essentially saying, he's essentially saying that there's no way. You get that? There's no way. But he says in verse 25, But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I, this is God talking, will contend with him that contended to see, and I will save thy children. And you know what God is saying? He's saying, I love y'all so much, I'm going to make a way where there is not a way where it looks like it's not possible, where anybody in his right mind wouldn't touch it with a ten-foot pole, I will be there, I will fix it, I'll return it, I am God, and I'm going to do this because I love you. Do you see that, what he's saying there, that he loves them? He is more powerful than anything in this world, and he says, I love you. He says there, verse 1, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement whom I put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? He says, that ain't what's going on. Behold, next word, behold. He says, hold up, y'all. Behold. There's a reason that you feel rejected. There's a reason you feel not accepted. And it's not because of me. I love you. I'm trying everything I can to restore you. I'm working on your behalf, but there's a problem. Behold, what is the problem? For your iniquities have you sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. He says, it's your sin that has enslaved you. It is your sin that has broken up these relationships. It is your sin that has caused the problem. God loves you in spite of your sin. God loves you and He is working in spite of your sin. God is accepting you in spite of your sin. Hear me say this really loud and clear. You may say to me, Matthew, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. God clearly hates me. I want you to hear me plainly. God loves you. God is on your side. God is for you. God is with you. The problem isn't God. The problem is your sin is keeping you from enjoying what God is offering to you. He even goes on in verse, verse 2 and he says, Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? And when I called, was there none to answer? He says, Listen, I was looking for you. I've come for you. I'm calling you. I'm asking you to come to me. He's calling you. Can you, can you hear Jesus right now? He's calling you. If you're here listening to me and you're hearing the word, God is calling you to repent. He is calling you to believe in him. He is calling you. But he says, when I came, nobody came. Nobody was there. Where were you? Well, the reason, he says, in verse 2, he goes on, he says, Is my hand shortened at all that I cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, my rebuke, and my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers of wilderness their fish stinketh because there's no water and dieth from thirst. 
I close the heavens with blackness and I make sackcloth their covering. I think some of us are just don't believe God can. Yeah, we hear him calling, but we say, we're just going to stay kind of hidden right now. We're not going to follow after him. Because I don't think he's doing all what he says he's going to do. We don't believe him, even though he is the God who is able to save to the uttermost. He is a God who is able to deliver from anything. You may say to me, well, Matthew, you don't understand. This thing that I'm dealing with, maybe it's an addiction, or maybe it's a bad relationship, or, or maybe it's something that is that has scarred something from your childhood that has scarred you to make you act and think and do certain things. You say, I don't, you don't understand how tough this is. And I'm going to admit to you, I don't know how tough it is. I don't. But I want you to know that my God is so powerful, He can overcome those things. He's able to do that. He's able to literally. There is no limit to this statement. He can do anything. But we are so less faithless, lacking in faith, that we can't even see that. So, so you've got this problem that, that, that my sin is keeping me from enjoying God's love and His acceptance. He's accepting He's got His arms open. But my sin is blinding me. And my faithlessness is saying, I'm going to look for something else other than Him. He can't do it. I can't. He can't trust Him. And so we're not enjoying it. We have God's acceptance. Are you hearing that? There's nothing. I'm asking for a response. What can we do to get God's acceptance? Not a thing. Not a thing, because it's already there. To the question that somebody answered, believe, you know what that's going to get me? I'm going to get to enjoy what he's already given to me. Because he's already, do you understand this? He's already given you acceptance. I think some of y'all are sitting out there saying, well, let me, let me, let me, I got to get my life together. I got to start doing this. I got to quit doing that. I got to look a little bit different. I got to join a different, a different group. I got to walk a different way. And then God's going to love me. God's going to like me. Or, some of y'all might even be, and I know some people that are like this, that say, you know what, I don't even like God, I hate God, I'm rejecting God completely because I have to change in order for Him to like me. And I want to be right clear with y'all, saying a thing in this world you've got to do for God to love you anymore. You can't make Him love you anymore than He already loves you. The problem is, you love your sin too much, and you don't trust God enough because you are not able, so you're not able to enjoy this acceptance that He's given to you. Now, I want to say two things, and I'm going to move on to my next point and move on here. I want to say two things. First of all, I'm going to talk to those people who that, that are here in this building, and then I'm going to talk about some people who are not in this building. Okay? Make sure we do that. There's some people here, and there's some people not here. So these people that are here, some of you, I think you're good folks. You at least look good. I don't know what to do. It. I don't know what to do at home on Saturday night, but y'all look good. Y'all look good. And people like y'all are the worst at being so hard on yourself to say, well, I didn't do this. I failed in this way, so God must not like me. I want you to know God loves you. You need to have faith in Him. You need to love Him. You need to trust Him. And He will let you enjoy that acceptance. Are you listening to me? Now, I want to talk about some people that ain't here. I'm talking about them because I'm not preaching with them. I'm talking to you about them because I want you to help them. Okay? That's why I'm doing this. There's people that's not here. There's some people that you're going to encounter in your life that are maybe part of the homosexual community, people who have been hurt by churches, 
and therefore are rejecting everything to do with churches. There are people who have nothing to do, they don't even understand anything about church and God and the Bible, but there are going to be people who are saying to you things like, you know, one of two things, either God likes this, what we know is to be sin. God likes my sin. He's good with it. He doesn't even think it's bad. Or they're going to say, oh, um, you know, I, I could never be part of your community. Because if I'm part of your community, that, your God is a hateful God. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Does that resonate with anybody here? You ever heard anything like that, a couple of you? I've heard stuff like that. Both of those things. But they, they either take what they're doing and say, God's okay with what I'm doing. Or they say, I'm going to reject you because I don't think your God likes what I'm doing. Okay? You see that? What I want you to tell those people is that God loves them. I don't want you to tell those people. I don't want you to get in their face and say, no, you're sinning. You're an awful sinner. That's not what I want you to tell them. I want you to tell them God loves them. You know why? Because God loves them. <laughs> I want you to know that God loves them. God loves them even though they reject Him. God loves them so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die for them. The problem is, and we're going to get to an answer here in just a second, but I want you to at least understand the problem. They are never, ever, ever going to enjoy God's acceptance on their own. Christians, those of you that are in the room, you'll never, ever, ever enjoy God's acceptance on your own. You know that? You need some help. You need some help. Let me go on to get you some of that help. Can you see this? If we need somebody to get scared of our sin, sin has this bad habit of perverting and blinding us. And I'm talking about sin. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the dirty, ugly sin, whatever is in your mind is dirty. I'm talking about those little, little sins, the, 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 the acceptable sins. A little religious pride that can creep in. I'm talking to the people in the building right now, just so they know. Uh, that pride, oh, I'm a good person, so I'm okay. And you ought to know better than that. You're not a good. You're only as good as God has made you. You're not good on your own. But but the reason I say that though is because that's what sin does. It makes us think everything's okay. And of course the other stuff too. It makes us feel like we're okay. But we need to shed of that, and our faith has got to be stronger. Because I'm telling you, if we could just believe in God and trust in God, we, if we could just put our faith in Him, if we could just do that, this would all be set, would all be taken care of. But we're doomed because of the human condition, because of the sin in our heart. We are doomed not to enjoy the very acceptance that we crave. But then in verse 4, somebody enters the room. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. Who's talking to Well, let me just go and tell you. I won't keep you in suspense. It's the suffering servant that is in Isaiah. That's who's talking We know the suffering servant. For those of you that have not heard us talk about the suffering servant, we know that this is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is an Old Testament prophecy speaking of the Messiah who has come and he is the suffering servant. So he enters the room and before he says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word and speak unto him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned. That word learned is an interesting word. Um, the, the learned, the idea of it is that he is a disciple. He is one who learns. That's what he's talking about. And he says that God, the Father, has given to him, he gives him a tongue of the learned and an ear of the learned. 
He gives him a tongue that says exactly what needs to be said and ears that listen to the words of God for everything that needs to be done. He is a model disciple. That's what he is here. That's what he's talking about in verse 4. But when he hears the word, he doesn't just hear the word. He does what James tells us to do, to be not just hearers of the word, but also doers of it. Look what he says in verse 5. The Lord God has opened my ear. So he hears everything that he's supposed to hear. And I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Now remember, what's causing it so that we don't enjoy the acceptance of God? That's sin. We don't do what God tells us to do. Or we do stuff he told us not to do. That's what sin is. But here, the suffering servant comes in and he says, I'm listening to everything God tells me to do, and that's what I'm going to do. You look at the life of Jesus, and that's what he did. He did exactly what the Father asked of him. He did exactly what the Father wanted him to do. And that's what he said. I'm not rebellious. I'm not turning back my way, turning my back. He says, so much so that I'm going to be so obedient to God, verse 6, that I gave my back to the smiters and my cheek to them that plucked off the hair. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. He says, I'm going to be obedient to the point of suffering, if that's what it takes. And certainly it did. His suffering was required for our sins to be paid for. He was beaten and bruised for us. He was tortured. They literally ripped the beard out of his face with actual cutouts. He was abused, but he was humiliated. I've never had anybody spit on me in anger. I did have one guy who was playing basketball, and he had shoe in his mouth, and he spit. And I got that on me. And it wasn't that it was an accident, just so you know. But I was upset when that happened. I didn't like that so much. But I can only imagine if somebody were to actually, in, in anger and just being hateful towards me, just a spit on me. Can you imagine that? I mean, that doesn't even hurt, but it hurts my feelings. Could you imagine? And here's the God of the universe, and one of his creations does this, that he is willing to do that. He is found in fashion as a man. He humbles himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What's amazing about this is not only is he obedient, but then he just does it, but he does it, and he's excited about it. It's interesting. Hebrews says it this way, that he's the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he gave the cross. That's Jesus did. But in the worst of it, as he's enduring, verse 6, his back being beaten, his cheeks, his beard being ripped out, his, his face being stood upon. Verse 7, he did this for the Lord, God, will help me. Therefore, I shall not, shall I not be confounded. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be disappointed. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be defeated. I, I'm going to win. I'm the winner here. I'm not going to be confounded. He says, therefore, have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. I'm not going to be disappointed. He, God, the Father, is near that justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come together. Let me tell you, I get a little disappointed because somebody says something I don't like, and I get all tore out of the frame, and I'm like, God, where are you? And here's Jesus. He is going to a cross, tortured, spit upon, disgraced, despised, hated, and he's saying, we got it, God. We got this, Father. We're on this. We're going to win. That's some faith right there. That's faith I don't have. That's faith beyond faith. He's trusting God to accept him, to help him, to vindicate him. 
what I want you to see here is that Jesus, the suffering servant, he has enjoyed that acceptance of God for us. He was sinless for us. I could never be sinless. Ever. I know you have. I know I look like I'm sinless, and I know, just like my wife, okay, how good I am. <laughs> I'm honest with you, I could never be sinless, ever. You could never be sinless. But Jesus was without sin. What's the one thing preventing us from enjoying God's acceptance? Sin. I need somebody to take that from me. Jesus not only was without sin, but he paid for my sin. He took my sin from me. Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. He did no sin. There is no guile in his mouth. When he was reviled, reviled not again. He suffered, he threatened not. He committed himself to him that does it righteously. Righteously. Now, right now, I'm glad it was Jesus and not me, because I'm afraid every one of y'all would be on your way to hell right now. If it was up to me, me too, by the way. But Jesus is the one, because he put his faith in the Father, he was able to do this without sin. He opened up that path to his suffering because his perfection and his faithfulness gives us the opportunity to enjoy it. The only conclusion I can come to is um, we need to follow the servant. We need to follow Jesus. He's the only one worth following. That's what he says in verse 10. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, speaking of the suffering servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. We could just follow after Jesus. Verse 2 of this chapter, we saw that he's calling you to repentance. You need to listen to his voice. Later on in verse 2, he said he's promised to deliver you. I want you to trust what he's saying. He's speaking peace and he's speaking hope to you in verse 4. He, he took a beating for you in verse 6. He took torture for you. He took shame for you. He took disgrace for you. He secured redemption for you. He secured forgiveness of your sins for you, verse 8. He secured the mercy and grace of God for you, verse 9. I want to be accepted for who I am. I want somebody to know everything there is to know about me and still love me. God is offering that to you. If y'all are so blinded by your sin and so weak because you don't believe that God can, you'll never enjoy it. But there was one who had no sin to blind him. He had the faith that I can only imagine it. And he has said, I'm going to give you that acceptance. I've secured it for you. Remember that guy over in Mark chapter 9, I think it is? His little boy was possessed by a demon. He was real upset. He's trying to get somebody to help him. He's got demons that are tearing his boy up. Jesus comes in and says, you know, I think I can help your son. Remember the dad's response? He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Remember that? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. 
I just want to level with y'all right now. This idea of believing in Jesus. I, I believe that, I mean, I, that's what the Bible teaches, and I ain't going to disagree with the Bible. I ain't going to stand here and disagree with the Bible. I'm just going to tell you that it's hard. It's harder than it sounds. Sounds easy. But you see, that's what the servant, the suffering servant, did for us. If he believes when we can, he, he's got sin, sinlessness when I can't be sinless. And so my job is to be like that, that, that little that, that man, that daddy, that little boy, and say, Lord, I believe. Man, I sure don't feel like I want to. Lord, I believe, but my faith ain't strong enough. Lord, I believe you did that for me, but I just ain't feeling it. You're going to have to give me something. This is an invitation to you to follow Jesus. Find that love, to find that acceptance. He's freely offering it to you. And if, that, if, 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 if you're sitting there saying, Well, man, I'm kind of confused. What do I need to do? Thank you. I, I am too. I am too. But let me just be real blunt with you. The only hope you've got is in Jesus. And I want to encourage you strongly. I, I urge you. I'm begging of you. You may say, Well, I don't know exactly what it means to believe. The best thing I can offer you. Is that woman who was laying in the streets had been sick with some kind of blood condition for years and years and years, and she finds out Jesus is passing by, and all she does is grab hold of him. She didn't know that would save her. She didn't know that was going to work. I don't know if there's another instance in the Bible where somebody just brushed up against Jesus and got healed. I don't know that that's the case. But she said, that's all I got. So that's what I'm going to do. You know what happened to her? Not only was she healed, <laughs> but Jesus stopped and he turned and he said, somebody touched me. Who was it? I'm going to help him right now, but I need to know who it was. I'm telling you that to say, because some of y'all are analytical, maybe like I am a little bit. And you're like, what exactly do I need to do? This was this was this. I want you to know you just need Jesus. Go get Jesus. He's here. He's available. Reach out to him. Ask him, cry, scream, holler, whatever you got to do. But you need Jesus. He's the one who's open the path. He's the one that has no sin. He's the one that has faith when you don't have it. Believe in him, yes, but what does that mean? I don't know. Just get a hold of him. Get on him. Grab him. Put your faith in him. Trust him. Say, I'm going to die. There's another instance in the gospel where there's a, there's a man who comes to Jesus, my little boy's going to die. And he literally says, if you don't come, Jesus, my son's going to die. We've got to get to the point where we say, Lord, if you don't come and do something for me, I ain't going to have anything. I'm a mess. I'm going to wander through the life of my life, and I'm going to not know what to do. I'm going to wander through my life and want that acceptance and that hope. I'm going to look everywhere I can to find it. I'm never going to get it, but Lord, if you will do something, whatever it is you do, your God, I'm not. Grab the whole thing. I want to encourage you that are here on the live stream, if you're in the room, 
I hope you've heard the voice of Jesus today. And I want you to follow him. I want you to grab hold of his garment and just say, Lord, help me. Just help me. And ask you to stand. Lord, I'm going to invite these people to come to you. I pray that you will speak to them. You'll encourage them. That your word has gotten into their heart somehow that they know that their only hope is the Savior who did what they could not. That they would not. That they would never. Please help them, Lord. Please help us to be a light to this world. Pointing people to Jesus. And I'm asking this in Jesus' name.